0: Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I sit down with Neil Winokur. Neil is the author of a great book called The Grumpy Accountant, One Fed Up Tax Pro's Practical Plan to Fix Canada's Senselessly Complicated Tax System. And we have a high-level talk here just about the Canadian budget. You know, it was passed a few weeks ago or about a month ago, so we wanted to bring him on and just get his thoughts on the Canadian budget, uh, you know, capital gains at a high-level, deficits, what's going on in this country. So just a casual conversation between a bunch of friends talking about this kind of stuff. Neil's a great guy. If you haven't checked out his book, it is a great book. He, his goal is to get everyone to buy the book and send it to their, you know, the federal government, their, their representative, their MP at the federal government to get them um, talking about changing the tax system here in Canada, which is a... A huge goal in our opinion, but that's what he wants. And you can actually go to his website at grumpyaccountant.ca. That's his website. The book is called The Grumpy Accountant. You can find that on Amazon um, or Indigo. And the URL is grumpyaccountant.ca to get to uh, to the webpage for his book and some information about Neil, including his contact information there. And if you are listening to this and you want to dive into the real estate market, you but you don't know to be where to begin because your neighbor told you prices are going crazy, your friend told you um, there's you can't find cash flow anymore, your family told you never to get in debt, you can figure some stuff out by researching, reading, digging up data for yourself. We also believe not getting into debt. However, if you get good debt, it's almost like you're using the system against itself to your own advantage. I know that might sound a little ridiculous, but we strongly believe that real estate is one of the vehicles that you can use for yourself and your family to kind of front run some of the government madness that is being passed in the federal budget, in the monetary policy that is run in this country. So we look at real estate as purely a vehicle to front run some of the monetary policies that are you know, that are run in this country that don't serve any of us in our opinion. And that's why we like real estate. It's why we put out reports on real estate. It's why we feel you need to lead with cash flow because the market can change at any time. And it's the income that is a critical component of real estate that will protect you if prices change. So you have to look for cash flowing properties or make sure your portfolio as a whole is always cash flowing or paying for itself. And if you want information in this regard, you can visit rockstarinnercircle.com. That's www.rockstarinnercircle.com. You can get access to our books. Our classes are linked off there. If you're brand new, we have a free introductory 90-minute training class. There's a big button on the website to register for that. We host that about once a month. You can get access to the latest Rockstar Minute videos that we put out. You can get access to all the the podcasts like this that we share. It's all there at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's enough with the intro. Let's get on with the show.
1: Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Karadza. Are you ready? Let's
0: go. Okay, we are live with uh, my brother, Nicholas Alexander Karadza and uh, Neil Winokur, the author of The Grumpy Accountant, but not only the author of The Grumpy Accountant, I think he calls himself... And references himself as the grumpy accountant. This
2: isn't just the title of a book for you. You are the bur- the grumpy accountant. Correct, Neil? Yes, especially since we just survived another tax season, although we're still going through it. But it's hard not to be a non-grumpy accountant. I don't know many accountants that are non-grumpy. Why do you think, okay, before we get into the tax code in Canada, and the, I want to talk to you
0: about your thoughts on the budget specifically. Um, why do you think that is like, I feel like accountants are a
2: special breed of people. It's just what? so frustrating dealing, like it, there's many different types of accountants, okay? So I'm really only specifically referring to tax. Canadian accountants who help people file their tax returns. It's not a fun process for anyone involved. But especially us, we have to deal with CRA on a daily basis. And over the years, like even just the past five years, it's become worse and worse and worse. Just the wait times on the phone, the CRA online systems are frequently down and we we can't do what we need to do. A lot of accountants were upset this year because they didn't um, extend the tax deadline April 30th. Remember last year because of COVID, they extended the deadline all the way to September 30th. I was actually very upset about that because we we were doing tax returns in July and August and September. And that's usually when we can finally relax and take some time off. So I actually was happy that they did not extend the deadline this year because I don't want to do tax returns in the summer, but many, most accountants um, wanted an increase, uh, an extension in the tax deadline, at least by a month or something, which I can understand why. And of course the government did not grant that extension. So there's a lot to be grumpy about especially the past year, because of all of the government programs to help people because of COVID, it created huge complexity and inefficiency and confusion in the tax system and in the tax filing process. So there's a lot to be grumpy about.
0: Okay. Yeah. So before we get into then the budget, I'm curious, you're saying with all the different COVID programs, relief, quote unquote, relief programs, you think that just the complexity of handling all that just made everybody's life even crazier. So there was no real, what, what's your bottom line thoughts on the relief programs overall, a help to Canadians. What's, what's your thinking here?
2: Overall, I think it was really overdone. A lot of the, like you'd have to look at each program. separately. I know. And there's so many, I know it's maybe not a fair question. There were so many, which in and of itself is like, like we had a wage subsidy and we had CERB. So did we really need both? Like, why did we have both? like people losing their jobs and self-employed people didn't qualify for EI. Okay, so I can understand SERB, but then why did we need a wage subsidy if people are going on serp Like there's just a lot of overlap and and people were criticizing the wage subsidy as basically helping very large profitable companies that weren't affected by COVID shutdowns and they're just getting these wage subsidies. So there's, there's just a lot of inefficiency in it. And the way all these programs were rolled out was so confusing because they would roll out a program, they would make an announcement and then there were so many problems with the announcement. A week later they would change it. Then they would change it again, change it again. And it, it was like a disaster. 2020 was just, it was like, it was a disaster. And it's still happening now because now people are getting audited. Uh, if you received CERB, you might get a letter. Did you really qualify for CERB? Um, And. and Basically, any business that claimed the wage subsidy, be prepared that you're going to have to prove the the drop in revenue that made you qualified. You have to prove this, prove that, like, and even T four filing this past year, you had to break out um, March, April, May, June. Like, you have to break out the payroll for each period on the T four. Like, it's just a, it's a disaster.
1: We're going through that right now. Our T four filing, they kicked it back because it's off by. About I don't know ten grand I forget the number but but it's it's something to do with that you know the initial one the ten percent that you were automatically able to claim or so so it's right. off by that and we have to break it out and the form they give you to break it out like I'm just looking at it and yeah. I was talking to our bookkeeper and I'm like thank God I don't have to do this that's your problem just yeah. you figure out the
2: numbers yeah, yeah it's Look- a
0: mess. And just just speaking to the CRA person on the phone, Nick, because I had to authorize the person on our team here to do that. For some reason, it was just under my name still just talking to them on the phone and the way they're referencing this stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, this just seems like misery to me. (laughs) Sorry. Neil. I know this is your part of your profession so I shouldn't just be laughing at some of this stuff no, but I can't help myself, man. I'm you sorry have to
2: laugh. Sometimes it's the only way. You just have to laugh, you know? It's hard. But to
0: be fair, what I appreciate about you is I think a lot of people in their profession if there's more complexities they look at that as job security. And they're fine with it. So I appreciate the fact that you're laughing and being grumpy of this stuff because you don't look at the complexity as a certain kind of job security for accountants. You look at it as just pure stupidity, which I kind of appreciate.
2: It is pure stupidity, but it is job security for accountants. And that's why some accountants don't like my book, The Grumpy Accountant, because basically I'm trying to write myself out of a job. Like the, The idea that Canadians need to hire professional help To file their tax return is the stupidest idea when you really think about it. The tax return should be so simple that you should be able to do it on your own. Like when you go to the grocery store and you buy groceries, you don't need a professional grocery bill uh, filer, advisor to help you to pay your grocery bill. And you don't need a phone bill advisor to help you pay your phone bill. And And with every bill you pay, all you do is you pay the bill. And the tax bill should really be the same thing. You should get a bill and here's your tax bill and you pay it like property tax. Look at your property tax bill. You get a bill and you pay it. Right. So why can't we do that with income tax? And in fact, we that's the vision I present in the book is that we we can do it actually. And other countries have done it. And if you think about it for the majority of tax filers in Canada are employees, T4 employees. Well, your T4 that the employer already filed, that could be the tax return that you shouldn't even have to file a tax return. That should be it. Cause the employer is taking the tax off your paycheck. They're paying it to the CRA. So that's it, the tax is already paid. Why well, do you have to file a return? And the reason why is because we have tax deductions and tax credits, which are like the bane of my existence and which just politicians love them because they can target groups of voters, and they can manipulate the tax system to like recreate the, the tax system in the image and values of their political party. And each party is guilty of doing this, by the way. So like they, politicians love deductions and credits, but I hate them because they just complicate the tax system. We could move to a system where the T4 becomes the tax return for employees. And then even self-employed people, it's sh- the tax return really should be the size. If I have this little, uh, this should be your tax return. That's it. They could be income. taps only done. Like, we shouldn't need a 50-page tax <laughs> return. <like> <laughs> income
0: income tax deduction done. So if you're listening to this no, and you 10%. don't see, Neil Neil showed up about maybe a three-inch by three-inch piece of paper and pointed out that that should be your whole tax return. <laughs> I no, appreciate seriously.
2: that. It, like, it doesn't have to be this complicated. Okay, so let's get
0: into it a little bit. What did you think? Uh, what stood out to you about the budget specifically? Was it, let's talk about the first thing. Was it housing, the, the overall deficit number? I always get up in arms about the deficit number because the deficit number that we used to have as a country as a, a federal deficit of like 30 billion, which is already astronomical, is now the provincial deficit in in Ontario. And now <laughs> yeah. and, and now we're saying the federal, debt uh, deficit this year is going to be amazing because it's only going to be like 130 billion but they haven't accounted for like another 30 billion of promises already so yeah. the amazing one is going to be like a you know at least 160 plus whatever has is going to be announced that they haven't announced yet so what where what's your favorite thing is it housing what they're trying to do with housing or is it the overall deficit or what let's, First us pick on one
2: i want to get your thoughts okay first of all the deficit for the 2020-21 fiscal year so 2020-2021 is 354 billion. It's gonna be next year that it'll be 154 billion and then 30 billion eventually in 2025. So there's really no path to balance. Um, What was the last
0: one? Sorry, what was the last one?
2: It'll be 30.7 billion in 2025,
0: 26. So if you and I sit here right now, I don't know if you're a gambling person or not, but if you were to sit here right now, come on, what
2: are the odds that it's going to be 30, 30, 35 billion in 24, 25? they they built into their assumptions, like what will the economic growth be each year for the next five, six years? So... Like I, I don't know exactly what their assumptions were, so you'd have to look at their assumptions and see is that a reasonable assumption. We have no idea. So these, these you are don't know who you're dealing
0: you don't know who you're dealing with over here. I do not have to look at their assumptions
2: <laughs> because yeah. I know those. Assu- yeah, here, I've been yeah.
0: watching this stuff long enough. Yeah. I know those assumptions are just pulled out of yeah. the air. But yeah. that's so, fair.
2: That's fair. So there's a website called DebtClock.ca. Okay, DebtClock. D E B T Clock.ca. This is the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. They track the government debt. So we're already right now, $1.1 trillion of federal debt. Okay. So to put that in perspective, what that means is, and that doesn't include provincial each province, right? To put that in perspective, just on that 1.1 trillion, every single Canadian owes their sheer share. That's $29,623. And the debt grows. Guess how much every day as we're talking every single day, Guess how much the federal debt grows by every day?
0: Oh, geez. I have no idea. Let me try this. Uh, uh, every day. So every a mil- day. A million a day. Would it, uh, fi- 500 grand? 500 grand? $1 was- billion.
2: dollar billion. Sorry, how often am I? <laughs> $1 billion every day. And it's every hour. <laughs> I was
1: saying 500 so grand. Guess <laughs> how,
2: no, guess how much every hour? The federal debt grows every hour by $43.5 million. Okay. So oh this is not now on, on, on page 53 of the budget, like I read through the budget, I wrote an article about it. Um, here's a quote. The government is committed to unwinding COVID related deficits and reducing the federal debt as a share of the economy over the medium term. OK, so like there, there really is no path to a balanced budget here. Um, before COVID hit, the federal government was running deficits about 20 billion dollars every year since Trudeau took power. Now in the election, back in 2015 or 16, Trudeau promised he would run modest deficits of $10 billion a year, eventually balancing in 2019. He broke that promise and run deficits of 20 billion each year. And that put us in a very poor position to deal with COVID uh, because we were already running deficits um, and the debt was already growing. So if he had run balanced budgets each year, obviously, during COVID, yeah, the government would have to run some sort of deficit. It it, it makes sense. And it, like, it's not unreasonable that they ran a deficit as COVID is happening. Uh, but before that, there was really no reason like the economy was booming 2016, 17, 18.
0: But what so what do you say to people who say, Okay, Neil? Yeah, like, I hear you. But you know, we need more housing programs, we need more healthcare services. So Neil, like, I'm on board for this spending because I don't really feel it. Like, I don't really see the debt. Like, I know you're telling me every Canadian owes this much, but Neil, I don't really see the impact on me directly. So yeah, let the government, you know, do all these things because they're needed. When you hear hear that, like, how do you frame the response? What goes through your mind when you hear someone say that?
2: There's two different approaches to responding to that. Number one is the moral response. Is it moral for us to spend money today that we don't have that our children and grandchildren will have to repay? Because debt, a federal deficit today is taxes tomorrow. It has to be repaid. Okay. So, and so eventually it has to be repaid. So if we're not, if, if we don't have the money right now, like you think about your credit card bill, you have a line of credits, eventually you have to pay it back. And, and in the meantime, you're paying interest. So like the interest before COVID, we the federal government interest was about, I think it was like $29 billion a year, either 25 or 29, I forget, before COVID on the federal debt. That was, That's more than the federal government spends on military defense. It's more than it spends on the Canada child benefit. Okay, so the government is spending almost like 10% of the budget pre-COVID on just interest payments alone. So if interest rates are to, are, are going to rise, that puts us in a very uh, problematic position. This actually happened in the 1990s. In the early 1990s, the Canadian government almost had to receive a bailout loan from the IMF because interest was actually, interest expense was one third of all government spending was interest on the debt. And it was actually a liberal government under Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin they were called the deficit slayers. They balanced the budget within two years because it was so unsustainable. Now they did it on the backs of the provinces. They reduced the federal transfers to the provinces to pay for healthcare, to pay for education. So what happens is when we incur too much debt and we keep running deficits every year and it keeps growing and growing is that if interest rates rise, well, then more government revenue actually has to be paid has to go to interest. And then we don't have the money to spend on healthcare and education and the others, and the transfers to provinces to pay for those services that we want and that we need to pay for. So it, it's simply unsustainable in the long term. There was just an article a couple of days ago in the National Post about Newfoundland. The province of Newfoundland is in serious, serious financial trouble. They are almost at a point where the bonds that they issue to, to run deficits or the private markets, the private banks and private, nobody wants to buy these bonds, that's a huge problem. So then the interest rate, they have to offer a much higher interest rate just to print the money, print the bonds in order to borrow the money. And that could ha- very easily happen to the federal government as every province is going more into debt. So we have to realize that never ending deficit spending with the interest that comes with that, it's not sustained, sustainable in the long-term because interest will eat a greater share of the revenue and I mean, unless we could borrow at 0% from the Bank of Canada, and that would be a whole interesting experiment, which historically was done in the past. And that would be a whole different story. But if we're borrowing at interest from private banks and and, and for um, foreign-owned comp- foreign banks as well, like we have eventually has to be repaid. And it's not fair that our children and grandchildren should be born with this debt, which means a higher tax burden. So it affects every single... Canadian, and this is my experience actually as an accountant. One of the reasons why I become grumpy is because when COVID hit and all the, the government starts to release all these programs and these benefits and SERB and this and that, every one of my clients emails me and wants to know what they're eligible for, right? But all of these same people don't want to pay tax. Nobody wants to pay tax. Everyone wants to minimize their tax bill as much as possible. And yet, when it comes to possibly receiving like a thousand dollars free, free from the government. Everyone wants it. So everyone, we, we've become kind of like socialized and, um, we've developed this attitude here now in Canada that we think that the government is like this endless source of funds. And we don't see that. Yeah. The government gave me $2,000 a month. It's so it's great. And then when it comes, but then like one day, if you start a business and you have to start paying tax, nobody wants to pay any tax. So we want and want and want, but we don't want to pay for it. And that's a big problem. It's not It's just absolutely not sustainable. And a lot of the spending, like if you look in this budget and in the past few years in the budget, there's a lot of unnecessary spending. I'll just give you one example. The federal government has spent $6 billion in the past five years on consultants, okay? External consultants, outsourcing for consulting. How much
0: did you say? Sorry, how
2: much? $6 okay? Now, in the same period in the past five years, every year, the government's payroll for the civil service has increased by 10%. So, like, what the hell is going on here? Why do they need to increase the amount of civil servants in the payroll by 10% every year? And they're paying $6 billion to do external consulting? Like, are you using the civil servants? Are you using consulting? So the government keeps growing and growing and growing. And this isn't money that's going to provide you with the healthcare services you need. This is money that's paying civil servants, paying consulting firms that have connections to the government. Like, this is not sustainable. This is not spending that's actually going to the front lines. And that's why I have a problem with it. And the, the idea that we can just run deficits forever, it's, it, it's ridiculous, it's not sustainable. And we know that from our past, like we have it, it, that historical precedent. It's always blown
1: my mind the amount of money they spend on uh, on consultants and uh, and studies. Everything's a study, and and the rates that they get. these the be- the most I, I there's been other ones, but the one that blew my mind the most is when uh, Tom. Do you remember the Ontario cannabis store when they released it? Oh, it. Correct me that's if I'm wrong. I, think of, was, favorites. I think that's one of my I think it was So the, the marketing company. I think the the it was five hundred and seventy. So sorry, sorry, somewhere in the five hundred something thousand dollars, and that was to come up with the name and the logo. And if and Neil, I don't know if you know the lo- so the name is the Ontario Cannabis Store, which that that's not really the most creative thing in the world you would think, yeah. and the logo is the most basic thing in the world. Like there's these yeah. these websites called Fiverr, and for for a speedy version of it, for you can you can spend fifty bucks and you could have got the same thing, maybe even a little bit more. But you didn't
0: even know if for those of you who don't know the logo, it's literally
1: just text. It's like, well, yeah, it's, it's like an OSC and like intertwined somehow or something. Yeah, it's, it's like an O like, S and yeah. yeah. S. <laughs> and, well, it, and I used to work at the region the municipality of Peel. And I can tell you that we saw, I saw some people they would quit, they would leave and come back as consultants. And this was regular. And they would wow. make multiples of what they were making full-time. And like, why don't you just hire another full-time person? Why are you paying this consultant, this guy that left his salaried role to come back at double or triple the cost, the hourly rate? Like, it seemed
2: crazy yeah. to me. Look, there's it, so much waste in government. And I, I, when people ask the question, well, we need to run these deficits because we need to provide services. Well, why why don't we try to live within our means? Like, why are we paying more than we can afford? It's just, Neil. It's don't not speak, sh- 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 don't speak
0: nonsense. Please, yeah, yeah. Crazy live within cra- our means. Crazy Neil. talk.
2: <laughs> now, now, you must
0: be an account. That's nonsense. Yeah. What are yeah. you talking about? Listen, I, I, when I was at Oracle, anyone who had the government accounts, because I think what's the, what's the government's year end? It is March, right? Yeah, there, there. It's like I think their government year end is March or federal level. It was March. That's how mm-hmm. I remember it anyway. Anyone who was selling into the federal government, it was the best in March.
2: Oh, right. Cuz yeah, they would they, get
0: phone calls saying March hey, madness. Yeah. yeah. I would have this budget and if I don't spend the budget, right. I'm not going to get the same amount next year. So yeah. I have to spend it. It's so ridiculous. some of these guys that were in uh, selling into the federal level, they would just get orders of like I'm talking millions of dollars of software. Right. That I, I don't as far as I know really wasn't even being delivered anywhere. It was just to use the budget. Yeah, because they needed the same budget next year, and I always thought, even when I was in my twenties, then I'm like, this is just weird. Yeah. And then, and then, but part of you, as a salesperson, is like, how do I get one of those? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That's the that's the give and take. And also, Neil, to your point of why you, um, why do we, why can't we live within our means? I've always had the thought when anyone talks to me about this kind of stuff, I'm like, well, if we can print money to, you know, because the Bank of Canada will step in to fund the government when needed why do we even have to pay taxes? So I don't understand. I so don't understand. Hap- like, why yeah. do we have to pay tax? And I, I know the reason, Yeah. but I mean, I'm just trying to get people to think I'm like, right. well, why do we even have to pay taxes? Exactly. Cause yeah. we can just print yeah. the money.
2: Yeah. Well, that's basically what's happening right now. Like the entire deficit is basically the bank of Canada is buying the bonds, right? It's, it's so in effect, that really is kind of what's happening now um, except we're paying interest on it, which is like, why, why don't they just make it interest free? Like they may as well. So, it's strange, but yeah, it, it's a complicated thing that a lot of people don't understand, but th- there's a whole group of people today. There's a whole philosophy out there today called MMT, Modern Monetary Theory. This is like the new popular philosophy that basically governments are sovereign so they could just print money. And as lo- like, if, it, if inflation starts going too high, then they just tax it. They, then that's where tax comes in because it reduces the money supply, goes back to the government, but it's, I, you you could read online very long rebuttals of this theory that show that it doesn't work. Um... I just want to give one more example from the budget that shows the ridiculousness of it, what they you Neil, know,
1: before you do that, can I, I, yeah. I want to ask your opinion on something because I, I kind of, like this last year is almost a, a version in, in some way of modern monetary theory, in, in my opinion. And in some in some ways, because of all this stimulus that's been put into the financial markets and financial assets, because that, that's where it's ended up, yeah. I look at what's happened in the last 10 years since the 2008 financial crisis as essentially it's almost been in some way it could be equated to like mmt for asset owners <laughs>
2: yeah, right yeah.
1: so so yeah. and and it seems like that's the you know we've seen now what the effect is of that and in the last year because of how much money the latest numbers i saw from from cbc i saw a chart that about 20 billion was lost in wages from april to september of 2020 versus 2019 but about i uh, sorry 20 billion was lost and about 80 extra billion was was pumped in by the by the government um and and we're seeing the impacts of that like and i don't know your opinion but isn't like isn't the last year what we kind of we saw a form of that in some way and now we're seeing the inflationary impacts
2: of that yeah I, I i mean i i agree with you i think when you look at the real estate market it's not just now gta that has skyrocketing prices it's all over canada it's in halifax like it's everywhere now and um, and like you said and stock market valuations as well that's that the money is kind of, it's ending up there. Um, and the pe- people receiving CERB, like they're not receiving enough CERB to put a down payment on the house, right? It's people who already have a house, who can use line of credit and um, who, who can borrow more because they already have the house, right? And the banks are willing to lend to them based on the assets they already have. So I, I agree with you, like central banking, central bankers, their policies are causing these asset bubbles And I think, I think they know it's happening and I think they're even doing it on purpose because they they know the consequence of their, um, of what they're doing, but it's, that's why I always, it's so funny. Like, I, I can't help but laugh when I hear people in government or politicians or academics or the central bankers themselves say, we, we have to deal with wealth inequality. We have to, we need to deal with wealth inequality. We have to have wealth taxes. We have to, and I'm like, but you're causing you're causing the problem if you want to reduce wealth inequality which i think actually i I agree with them too much wealth inequality it is a problem it is actually a problem but but they're causing it by their ultra low interest rate policies causing these asset bubbles because people have nowhere else to put their money other than the real estate market and the stock market that's the only place you can earn a return so you're driving up prices of these assets and if you don't already own a house or you're not already in the stock market too bad you're basically left out to dry so so what they're saying is let's tax people's wealth instead of just income right so let's tax unrealized gains the value of your house went up let's tax it even more like double property we'll have a federal property tax right on the value but what they don't realize is wait a minute why don't you just like let interest rates start rising right and then and then like the asset prices would come under control and then maybe people who can't afford it right now might be able to, afford, right? So, I mean, it's very complicated, but um, I think you're absolutely right. This, this version of 20, like what happened in 2020, and even now, like CERB is kind of a precursor to a universal basic income. Like people are talking about that as well. And, uh, but we see all the downsides of it also. And in, in the United States, they have an even bigger problem of these stimulus checks. There are so many employers looking for employees And they can't hire anyone because the people are sitting at home and they're able to make more money from their stimulus checks than they would going back to work. And there's like a labor shortage now in the U S because people are sitting at home collecting their stimulus checks. So there's a lot of downsides to these kind of programs that people like, you know, they, people overlook because it, it just, it sounds like so nice. It sounds, Oh, we'll just give everyone a check. Like, why not? Right. Like, yeah, it what, could be wrong, nice. what could be wrong with that? But, but there's all like any government program, there's unintended consequences um, that happen like it, because of it.
1: Okay. And I cut you off one last question before you want to get on to the point. Cause I, I want to ask this. Or Neil cause...
0: forgot what he was going to talk about now. No, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But no,
1: but because you said that you're the, the people you work with a lot of them are, you know, they don't want to pay the tax, but they want the money when it comes in when that program's offered. Right. And that, that makes sense. And I get it, but why like, do you think it's just that there's, it's all kind of short term, like from the people that you're talking to, or you see like that, is it, do they realize that the tax is going to have to come or they just don't care because they want the, the immediate benefits of getting that immediate income? Or do they just really not, do you feel the majority of people just really aren't even thinking about the future? Like, Hey, some, this money's got to come from somewhere.
2: I, I, I think it's that everyone thinks that someone else is paying the tax. So whenever the government proposes a new tax, people will accept it because the government spins it in a way that like somebody else is paying it. So I don't have to worry about it. Right. So when they talk about an increase in maybe an increase in the capital gains inclusion rate right now, it's 50%, right? Half of your gain is tax rate. So they talk about maybe we'll increase that. Maybe we'll include 75% of the capital gain or even hundred percent in your income. Most people think, okay, well, I don't earn capital gains. Right. Until you do, because one day you, you, you owned a rental property and 10 years now you sell it. And then you do have a capital gain. You're like, Oh no, I have to pay tax or on the date of death, every Canadian taxpayer, whatever assets you own, certain assets are deemed to have been sold and there's a capital gain on the date of death. So p- people think like, it doesn't affect me. That, that they... one
0: freaks me out, by the way, sorry to interrupt.
2: Nate. That one specifically yeah. freaks me up. Yeah.
0: Sorry. Keep going, keep going.
2: Yeah. Keep going. You have to plan for that. We can talk about that, how you can do planning for that, right? Estate planning. Um, but yeah, like people think that someone else, everyone thinks someone else is paying, right? And that's why whenever I whenever I see people talking about tax the rich, tax the rich, tax the rich, the rich will pay, they're not paying their fair share. And I, and then I, I look up on Statistics Canada and I can see in the Canadian statistics that actually like the rich are paying more than their share of income, more tax than based on the share of income. So for example, the top 1% in Canada like I I have to look at the exact uh, statistics, but they, let's say um, the statistics were that the top 1% of incomers in Canada, they might earn, let's say, 10% of all the income, but they're paying more than 20% of all the tax. And that's only including income tax. It doesn't include the property tax that they pay, the sales tax that they pay. So- I guess my point is that everyone wants their Canada child benefits. They want their GST credits. They want um, their old age security. They want their refundable credits, their disability tax credit. Everyone wants all these credits, but then like if a- anyone who like becomes self-employed and has to pay tax, they start to realize, Oh wait, I have to pay for it. I think in Canada, we basically have a two tiered tax system. There's there's there, there's like, it's like a, there's, there's two tiers. One tier are people who get tax refunds when they file their tax return. If you're an employee and you file your return every year and you get a tax refund that comes into your bank account, you don't actually ever physically make a tax payment to the CRA. Think about it. When you receive your paycheck every two weeks, tax is deducted at source. So you get your check. You don't, you've never physically gone to your bank account and paid the CRA, right? Instead, it's the opposite, you get a refund. I wrote about this in my book. So the government tricks people and and the majority of people are T4 employees. So the majority of people are receiving refunds. But the second tier of tax filers in Canada are people who actually have to pay a tax bill to CRA. These are self-employed people, right? Anyone who has their own business and is self-employed and you earn income from your own sources, your own work, self-employed, you have to pay to the CRA. So you actually physically have to go into your bank account Right, and make a bill payment to the CRA, and you might even have to pay four times a year in installments, and you might have to pay HST installments as well GSC, HST, and you have to collect GST and HST. So, you feel the physical, actual physical act, the painful act of sending money to the government, and sometimes it's a lot of money, right? So, but employees don't realize it. So, unfortunately, we have a situation it's like tyranny of the majority, right? That's what democracy is. So, the majority of tax filers. Aren't physically feeling that pain of making that tax payment. So they don't realize that like we're paying tax. And people, when they say, Oh, I got a refund, like if you if you stop the average Canadian on the street, go to downtown Toronto, stop the average person on the street and ask them, Hey, how much was your tax bill last year? How much tax did you pay? They'll say, What do you mean I didn't pay any tax? I got a refund. It's like, no, you still pay tax every paycheck you paid tax. So look at line 435. It's nail line four three five zero zero of your tax return and see tax is payable. Now you might still have got a big refund, but you still pay tax, you still owe tax, you just didn't physically pay it. So because we have a situation where people aren't feeling that pain, they don't they don't really realize that like This the government costs money and every dollar that the government sends you, it had to take from you or someone else and borrow because it doesn't even have the government doesn't have any money. It's taking it from you, it's taking it from taxpayers and borrowing it. People don't really realize it, they don't feel the pain of it. It is it is
0: a system that's like right in front of everybody's eyes, but almost that it's it's almost like you're living in the matrix. Like it's so right in front of you that you don't see it. Like it's so obvious, the theft is so obvious that that you don't see it. Let me ask you something. By law in Canada, do we have to pay employees in corporations with Canadian dollars or can you pay in some other, some other, anything else? Can you use a Bitcoin to pay? Can you pay in cattle? Can you, like, can you pay salary in anything the employer chooses? I don't think I've ever asked that question to anybody
2: or must you? you I think you can pay in however you want to pay, but the payroll tax to CRA has to be paid with Canadian dollars from the corporate bank account to the CRA, right? So the tax, when, when you pay an employee a salary, right, you have to deduct CPP, EI, income tax, and you have to remit that to the CRA, right, each month or each quarter and file the T4. So the CRA needs to receive the payment. As far as I know, they so don't the accept taxes, Bitcoin or yeah, anything yeah. yeah the taxes still have Canadian to be dollars. paid. Yeah. And when you report, when you file your Canadian tax return, usually you have to convert if you're, if you, if you have US dollar to the US dollar bank account, usually you have to convert to Canadian dollars, right? But you're allowed to barter with people. But technically, if you barter with someone, your services from my services, we each still have to include the value of that in our income and pay tax on it. Um, it's a, it's a strange thing because the government wants their cut, even though no physical money exchange hands, the value of the services barter is still considered like a taxable yeah, transaction. Okay, and then what um,
0: about regul what about repealing any tax regulations? Like when I hear you say that we grew grew the civil service like that I don't know if it was the count of people or the amount we pay 10% a year every year. Yeah, the payroll. Do you ever see the government or CRA coming in and repealing, repealing. What's the word I'm looking for? Repealing? I can't even speak. Like um, reducing regulations? Re- yeah. Like reducing regulations. Cause I just think of it like, just like my house, right. When more and more things come into my house, if I don't take some stuff to the curb and throw it out, <laughs> the house is just full. Like you can't yeah. operate. Like you yeah. kind of have to, like, if I'm going to buy a new couch, I kind of have to throw the old couch in the garbage, right? So if I bring in a new regulation into the tax system, I almost feel there should be like a one for one, like new regulation comes in. Okay. We, we must. So like, there's none of that that you ever see.
2: Look, the income tax, the, the legislation is called the income tax act, right? It's over 3000 pages long. Okay. This piece of legislation, when in 1917, when the government first established a federal income tax, which is really supposed to be a temporary measure to fund the end of World War I, it was only 11 pages, okay? So in, a, in, one, in 100 years, in a century, it's grown from 11 pages to 3000 pages. We haven't had like tinkering like, okay, remove one regulation here, put a new one here. That's not gonna help. That's not gonna fix the system. What needs to happen is a complete overhaul, comprehensive review and simplification of the entire system from start to yeah, finish. Yeah. Which
0: is what you argue for in your exactly. book. So, so let's say like, what would it take in your mind? Cause you've given this a lot of thought. What is going to take in your mind to do that? Because I hear that. And I think it's just never going to happen because I think we have, we have yeah. rational actors in their mind, acting rationally at the political level yeah. in a system that is completely broken. So like yeah. in their mind, they're offering the tax credits that you're talking about because they have to get reelected. Right, exactly. you no, know, it's four years. Like I'm on this cycle. I must get reelected. I'm going to offer tax credit. Yeah. So the system itself, to me, is morally broke. Like it's broken almost at the moral. Never mind the yeah. efficient level. It's like morally decayed. Yeah. And then you have people in that system who might be good people operating, yeah. but but because the system in which they are operating is destroyed, it, it just it's going to perpetuate itself forever. It seems like. Yeah. Where, like where where do you
2: see this changing? Look, it would take a lot of political will. So the last time this happened was in the 1960s. In 1967, they released a report called the Carter Commission, and that made a whole bunch of recommendations. They did a five-year study. This was in 1960s, a five-year study of the Canadian tax system. They did reviews of best practices in other countries. They did this whole study. They released the study after five years, and they made a bunch of recommendations. And the government listened to some of the recommendations and not others. So this, we haven't had a comprehensive review of the tax system like that in over 50 years. Do you know that why that was done? Like, who? What
0: was the impetus for that? How did that get started, that review?
2: In the 1960s, the, I don't know exactly why. Yeah, because that would be
0: interesting, right? Like, what yeah. got that going? I, it's
2: interesting. Look, I think back then, also, I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know, but I think back then, politics might not have been as like polarized, maybe possibly, and maybe it was easier. But I mean, it was one particular government that commissioned the study and they made these recommendations. But look, today, what you would have, what would have to happen is, whatever political parties in power would have to. I, in my opinion, what has to happen is they have to have some humility. They have to have a non partisan commission set up, okay, with people in government, people out of government, from representation from each political party, from representation from business groups across the country in every province, and lawyers and tax accountants and self employed individuals, and just even just like normal T4 employees, like real representation from everyone, really, and take. Five years, like really do a comprehensive study and look at every other country. And I'm not only talking about the US because the US also has a pretty complicated tax system. They do something's better than us, something's worse. But there's all countries, all over the world, Europe and other places, Australia, New Zealand, Israel, the UK, where they do things a lot better. Again, something's worse, but something's better. We we can really improve it. So I think you have to do a five-year study, non-partisan. Okay, so we don't make this a hyper-partisan thing with a goal of simplification let's make it simpler for the end user for the person who actually has to file a tax return and pay the tax bill that's not how it is designed right now i want that so desperately i i just can't see it happening neil and i'm a
0: positive person i (laughs) swear i'm a positive person look i'll tell you i want i want that i just mean i don't i don't see where that happens I I,
2: i think a lot of people are calling for this they know this has to happen cpa canada releases articles about this and op-eds. There's other groups, the Clean Chamber of Commerce. There's a whole bunch of groups that want this to happen that are pushing for it. Um, that are really, there's all these op-eds in the papers about this, I've even in uh, Financial Post, National Post, they printed a few of my op-eds in the past year about this issue. And I, everyone knows this has to happen. And again, it's just, there ha- there's a lack of political will right now, especially with COVID, this just is not on their radar. Um, but I, I was sort of like hopeful in the conservative party. They had a campaign for the leader, Aaron O'Toole won their leadership campaign in his, uh, platform when he ran, he did have in his platform simplifying the tax system. He did use that language. So I'm hoping they just put that in there as a line item to like get votes. It's possible, but I've spoken to people who I know like that are in, the party and helping design like their policy. And I know that this is an issue that is actually important to them. So I'm a little hopeful if there was a change in government, if they were to win, I know this would be on the radar. I don't think they would do like a five-year study the way I want them to do nonpartisan. I think they would do it in a partisan way, but I think they would try. But again, like you, I'm not hopeful that like- I don't mean to bring you down, uh, Yeah, you, no, stay right. <laughs> you stay <laughs> Look, positive, you stay positive. I think if, a, you know, maybe if a million Canadians buy my book and then send a copy to the member of parliament, there's power in numbers, right? So it is possible. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example. In 2017, the federal government, Trudeau government, with Bill Morneau was the finance minister, they created a whole new set of rules um, that affected small business owners in Canada. CCPCs, canadian Control private corporations, like really punitive... Uh, complicated rules. It was called TOSI, tax on split income, TOSI legislation, and rules about passive income earned in the corporation. Very complicated piece of legislation. It was so complicated and so horribly written that they actually had to eliminate two of their three main proposals two of them they just had to get rid of completely because there was such an outcry from thousands and thousands of accountants and small business owners all over the country one liberal member of parliament from i think it was pei or newfoundland or something he even voted against the government against his own caucus and uh, on the legislation because all of his all of his constituents back home were small business owners and they were really affected negatively by this. And But my, my point in telling you this story is that the government had to backtrack very quickly on their uh, proposed legislation and they had to eliminate two of the three main proposals. And the third one, they made it much simpler. So my point is if enough accountants would speak up, like the plan I proposed, okay, so my-
0: I never thought about that. You're right. It's so the I, Nick, I never thought about this. It's the accountants that are our front line. I never thought about this. If, if thousands, it's the accountants that are look, our front line for this, there are
2: there are thousands and thousands of accountants. If we banded together and really spoke up, and, and we've tried to in the past, like there's been certain things.
0: You got to do like, better, Neil. We're tw- all counting on look, you.
2: I don't know what to tell you. In you 2020, wrote a book. I'll
0: give you credit. You wrote a book.
2: Look, I, I tried to do something about it in 2020 when COVID hit. A lot of accountants were speaking up about, like, okay, we need to extend the tax deadline. We need to, and this year they tried and tried, and the government didn't listen. Like, th- there were letters written to the CRA and to the Minister of Finance, emergency letters. And CPA Canada, that's our professional organization for accountants, they have um, they have these tax committees that liaison with the CRA. They have a the small business tax committee and this tax committee and that tax committee, right? And they actually liaison with the Department of Finance and the Canada Revenue Agency. And what I've heard is that. Basically, this current government is not really giving them the time of day. They're not listening. They're they're not taking our suggestions and how to make things easier and more efficient. This current government, they're just not interested in making things simpler or easier. They made things more complicated and more difficult. Um, so I'm not hopeful right now, but I think eventually it has to change because we can't go on like this the way it is. It's just it's absolutely crazy.
1: I, I hear what you guys are saying, I, I, but I think there's another issue at play. Like it's 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 not, they, they count as, sure, like there's always, you know, people have voices, but the the political system is not set up for them to make these changes. That's not popular. They have to only, they have to do things that are, are the people care about to get in power every four years. Our society has been, is now gone in, in a direction like you were talking about earlier that people want, well, hey, give, what's my handout? What's in it for me? What are you going to give me? So they have to make these announcements about the deficit spending. This is why the deficit spending, I just don't see it disappear. Like until society changes their collective on how they view this kind of this immediate gratification stuff and then they and then they need the complicated tax code because if they don't have a complicated tax code then they see that then the groups that are having to cover the costs of this are clearly identified so I think it all, to me, it, like, and this is like just, you know, me kind of spitballing here, but I think because of that, they, they need deficit spending because they want to get elected and they got to hide what their, the tax is. So they make the code complicated that, you know, and, and it's just all bundled together and it's a big yeah. shit fest. And yeah. that's why that's why I perhaps I have less faith than you guys. It Doesn't yeah. like and I'm, I I love like they, there's nothing it's the accounting. Profession. Oh, I have little. I have little I faith. I have a little. Oh, I have little faith. Yeah, I'm I just, just don't. Think oh they, no, I'm they, I'm they I'm I I'm
0: willing to rally the accountants. I'm up oh, yeah, for rallying. I'm really, off for that too. I'll, yeah, I'm, I'm up I'll for go, that.
1: I'll go with them. I'll I'll throw my my voice behind there as well, but. I just, I don't know, man, the system is messed up, it, it, you know, I, and there's got to be a, like more wholesale I think changes. it goes
0: deeper to that, and we don't have to get into this topic because I know I get crazy. Yeah, the money but system. It, you're it right. You have to separate money from state. As soon as you're able to print dollars in the form of tax credits or money to get votes, to me, that just creates this problem.
1: Yeah. And that's what it is. They're printing money to get votes. It, it really is. And it's who can print money to the right segments of the population to get the most to votes. Get the votes. It's, you know, it's kind of like, that's the way I look at it too. Yeah. Use, uh,
0: to me, you separate money from state and then it's competitive because then you have to tell me, here's what I'm going to do with your tax dollars if you vote for me. Yeah. So I have to then approve that because you can't print the money. I must give you the money in the form of taxes by my vote. And 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 that's very different, yeah. Than being able to print the money. N-
1: Neil, I'm I'm curious about what. So I, I agree with you, Tom, and, and this is along the same lines. And, I've, and and because I'm I have to go in a few minutes. I, I want to sneak my question in there that <laughs> came up. So because um, I'm curious, what you think about the Mike Harris government? And, and I was young at this time, but my understanding Neil's of what younger that, when Neil's I younger than younger than us. Oh, is he yeah. okay? Yeah. So then maybe you don't even but, no. But the one thing oh. I remember is that this guy was. I remember massive protests that i that i had never seen before i remember the teachers and everyone was protesting my against mike harris and yeah. what he was doing with his budget i yeah. almost i also remember that he ran on a specific budget and the cuts and what he was going to do and then he actually implemented those things so yeah. he was elected based on them and yeah. then he implemented them anyways and he there was cuts in certain places and i know the cuts to in certain segments uh, of certain industries people hate him for it and that and yeah. I, i'm not saying whether they were right or wrong to where he was attributing the spending, but I was like, it's the last time I remember someone saying, "Look, here's my fi- my fiscal plan in government saying here's the fiscal plan, and then just implementing it yeah. as is." Yeah. And and he got ta- like, he got raked over the coals for it, right? Yeah. So
2: it was before my time. Like I was young at that time, and I so I wasn't like following politics or really. But from what I remember, like what I learned afterwards, I um I've heard people say that like people said you you might hate him for what he did. But you have to respect the fact that he did what he promised he would do like yeah and uh, I, i've heard people say that people in my own family who 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 hate him for what he yeah. did but they said but you know i give him credit for doing he said he would do it and he did it um but one thing i i know that he did that i just i live just south of highway 407 and it was the mike harris government that sold it for oh, like i don't know three don't billion even, dollars or yeah, something. don't even
1: talk about that, that would be pe- worth
2: like a hundred billion dollars so sometimes Governments make, you know, poor decisions. Um, And look, I I think it's also important not to be like, I know a lot of people, I think most people are blindly partisan and they're loyal to a particular political party. And that kind of creates this confirmation bias and skews their way of thinking. And they can never admit when their own party does something wrong and they can never see the good ideas in other political parties, right? And we like, there's probably always going to be like 30, or 33% of voters, 30-ish, who will always vote for the Conservative Party. There's gonna be maybe around the same amount who will always vote for the Liberal Party. But then there's people who like kind of switch back and forth, right? Uh, and there's some people who will switch back and forth between Liberal, and DP and Green. Um, but my point is that like, people who like are always supporting one party and they think whatever yeah. every other party says is wrong, I think that's also a bad thing to them because I, I look at the platforms of each party and sometimes there are good ideas in the other platforms like that normally it's a party i wouldn't support generally but they might have a couple of good ideas right so it's also like important we get out of that tribalistically I and mean, that's part of what the problem you guys are mm-hmm. saying that it's the system inherently is like so messed up to its core and i think political parties that just the idea that we have these parties i think contributes to that cuz it it increases and it creates that like tribalism right um, so I would love Nick, if you have without- to drop a
0: drop, I can ask Neil a question here right, about. Cool, what, yeah, thanks. You know, was, later. It was
2: nice yeah, with you. Yeah, nice. N- thanks Neil, you too. I yeah. I wanted to quote one thing from because you were talking about the vote. Uh, governments just handing out money to get reelected. There's a famous quote from Be- Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers of the U.S. He said, "When the people find that they can vote themselves money, that will herald the end of the republic," right? Because when, once people realize, oh, we can just vote ourselves child benefits and GIIF cuts, and it's not done that; it's over. That's it. Yeah. And eventually, the yeah. whole thing it it can't sustain itself. So you're right. And I think we, we're
1: starting to see it more yeah. at a at a higher level now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Cool. I'll talk to you soon, guys.
0: Neil, what were you going to say? that Way back, you were going to like you comment on another thing that you thought was ridiculous about the budget. Do you remember right. what that
2: was? So one of the huge highlights in the federal government's budget. Was this child care program? So they're promising this. Oh, idea you're of about ten- to
0: upset all the families. Here you go. You go well, at it, Neil. Here's you go the thing. On.
2: Look, I have a child, I have a two and a half year old, and we're expecting one more. God Well, oh, congrats, on the way. man. So congrats. Congratulations. Yeah. So I'm into child care, right? But here's the thing we have to look at the details. The devil's in the details. They're promising this $10 a day child care plan. So, first of all, there's the $10 a day is five years from now. It won't be $10 a day right away. Second of all, This is provincial jurisdiction, right? The federal government can't create a national child care program. They have to do it in conjunction with the province because it's like education. Education is provincial, right? So they have to negotiate with every single province a deal, right, to do the program, to help fund the program, and the provinces will administer it. So who knows if it will ever happen? Now, the other problem is we we already have... Canada Child Benefits. The whole reason why we have Canada Child Benefits is because we don't have government funded daycare. So the government said instead, you know what, we're just gonna give you the money, tax-free Canada Child Benefits, and then you, each family can decide what you're gonna do with that money, whether you wanna help pay for your daycare or whatever decision you make, right? So this this childcare program that they're proposing it's not replacing the twenty-five billion dollars a year they're already spending on kind of child benefits. It's on top of that, so it's like and it's completely ridiculous. So if you want a childcare program, just use the money from kind of child benefits. Don't add that on top. It's crazy. Now they want to model it after the Quebec. So Quebec, the province of Quebec, has a, a, a provincial. It, you know, I think it used to be $8 a day. Now it's a little more. So I actually have family in Montreal and Quebec. My, my wife is from Montreal, she has family there. And what they tell me about it. So it used to be that it was $8 a day for everyone. So they didn't check your income. So you could earn a million dollars a year and you get $8 a day daycare. It's like, that's ridiculous. So eventually they saw that this was actually helping families that didn't need the help and it was causing all this inefficiency. Quebec changed its program to have a sliding scale based on your income. So the more money you make, you actually pay a little more than $8 a day. You might pay 10 or 12 or 15 or $20 a day, right? So the federal program that they're proposing, they say, oh, it's like Quebec, but it's not because the federal government program is not based on your income, right? Right now, Canada child benefits that you get are based on your family income. As your family income goes up, the amount of Canada child benefits you receive goes down. It makes sense. I mean, if you're earning $500,000 a year, you don't need a hundred dollars a month in child benefits, right? So there's a lot of problems with what they're proposing and they're, they're this is like what people are just describing. This is like an election budget. This is a pre-election budget. They want to tell families, look, we're going to have $10 that they take care. So that's going to be the headline. And then when you read the details, it's like basically going to be unworkable. They're going to have to negotiate a separate deal with each province. Um, the Quebec problem the the Quebec system has a lot of problems and flaws. It's not perfect. People, not everyone loves it. People pay extra to have better care. So it, it's not all it's cracked out to be. So that's why that was like their signature program in this budget. And I just wanted to point out when you actually look at the details, it's not what it appears to be.
0: Classic example of bringing something in without removing something while you do it.
2: Exactly. Absolutely.
0: Neil, I, uh, you know, I know you can talk about this for uh, forever and it's me who has to wrap this up. So I appreciate you sharing, listen, I really value the stuff that you're sharing because it's coming from a perspective of an accountant. And sometimes I think Nick and I look at the world and we think this is absolutely crazy. (laughs) And then we just think, okay, like maybe it's us, you know, maybe, maybe things aren't crazy. So to hear it from your perspective is very enlightening for us. And I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy sharing this. I think the audience, our audience here is gonna kind of love your message as well. Um, So thank you for doing that because I know you have other things to do other than jumping on this, but The Grumpy Accountant, that's available on amazon.ca, of course. Um, What I liked about The Grumpy Accountant, your book, is just you got me thinking about the tax code in a way I hadn't thought about it before. Specifically, I think, you know, I can't remember if it's the book or in the last podcast where you you referred to the example in Britain or England, where they have a much simpler tax code, where you just, I guess, I, I can't remember. I think you get paid, and then you're just, just that your T four slip is like your tax bill kind of thing. And I think when you're in the fishbowl of Canada, you don't see it.
2: Exactly. You know. So yeah.
0: so thank you for doing that. Anything else? What's the URL for the
2: book, um, the Grumpy
0: sure. Account? Your Twitter handle? How how can people check you out?
2: Yeah. Thank you. So. By the way, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. It's, uh, maybe we'll do another one. We can always do You're
0: always welcome. Always that's... welcome. Anytime you just thank want you. to vent about the tax code, <laughs> you yeah. have a platform here. Just reach yes. out.
2: Well, that's why I wrote the book. My wife was tired of hearing me venting, so she told me so write a book. It. So that we
0: could just vent exactly. together about this. Even if it's just you and I venting yeah. back and forth with Nick together, the three sure. of us can vent.
2: <laughs> it's great. Yeah. So my website is grumpyaccountant.ca, and I have a blog there with some articles. My thoughts on the budget is there. The book is also, it's available on amazon.ca. It's also available on indigo.ca. Some people don't like Amazon, so you can buy it on indigo.ca if you'd like. Um, and uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, but uh, my main plea would be for people, go to my website, GrumpyCount.ca. There's a link to a petition right on the front of the website, change.org to simplify the tax system. Sign the petition, share it with your friends and family. And, um, and if you feel like spending the 20 bucks, buy a copy of the book, or you can buy the ebook. The ebook is available everywhere. The audiobook, I actually narrated myself. If you want to hear me rant for five hours, you could buy the audiobook. but please share this message. Um, send a copy of the book to your member of parliament and uh, tell all your friends and family. Really helps spread the word. This is an important issue. And the book is fun to read. If you like the TV show, Seinfeld, you're in for a real treat with this book. Seinfeld fans, this book is about Jerry, George, Elaine, Frank, uh, Dolores, um, who else? I think we have Pam, okay? So if you're a Seinfeld fan, you're gonna love the book. And the feedback I've received actually is that it's a great introduction to the tax system. Every grade 12 student and every college and university student should really read this book because it's a great intro to the tax system. Uh, There's 29 tax tips and it's written as a novel as a story like the wealthy barber it 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 reads as a story it's not like a textbook which is what i
0: really enjoyed about it so if someone was going to mail this who would they mail it to that's at the federal level i guess
2: yeah mail it to your federal absolutely member of parliament so and if you you were to
0: include a little note with the book the note would be what
2: the note would be i beg you read this book send it to the minister of finance christia freeland and tell them to implement uh, the idea is like your in the book. That's it. <laughs> awesome, Neil. Thank you so much. We will do this again. Really appreciate it, Neil. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you, you thank very you. much.
0: Hey, everyone. So hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Neil, the author of The Grumpy Accountant. His website is grumpyaccountant.ca. That's grumpyaccountant.ca. And if you are listening to this and you want some real estate information, you can visit rockstarinnercircle.com. Dot, Um, What what am I even saying? It is rockstarinnercircle.com. That is the website, rockstarinnercircle.com. It's our own website. You think we should know our own website URL, rockstarinnercircle.com for a whole bunch of real estate information that we're sharing and updating constantly. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.